We're living in strange times. Aren't you ready to get back to normal? You don't have to love the season that we're in, but I do think it's important for us to have the right attitude in the moment that we're a part of right now. And I think that it's time to stop fighting against something and start fighting for something. Welcome to this edition of Ignite Global Radio. Ignite features the Bible teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon, who serves as lead pastor of Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Wouldn't it be nice to be back to normal? Well, today, Pastor Ben has a timely word for us to stop waiting for that and to start living again where we are. In fact, it's time to have a new path for a new place. He's taking us to Jeremiah chapter 29, where God instructed Israel when literally everything changed for them to a new normal. If you'd like to know more about Ignite Global Radio, just go to our website, igniteglobalradio.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our podcast and take a look at the two books Pastor Ben has written, Prophesy and Hearing God, both of which are available in digital format. Now here he is with his message, A New Path for a New Place. If you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, a new path for a new place. I'm personally acquainted with uh, Jeremiah. I lo- out of all the prophets, I love the book of Jeremiah. We know him as the weeping prophet. And this chapter is special, and I think it will speak to us. And I want to give you some context for the book of Jeremiah, especially as we're jumping in right in the middle, because there's 50-something chapters. I think it's 52. And so um, it's a very large book. And there's a lot of context and history by the time we get to chapter 29. So I'm just going to do my best to summarize a little bit. First of all, we know Jeremiah is credited for writing the book of Jeremiah. And not only did he write that, but he also is responsible, we believe, for the book of Lamentations. He's a very unique prophet in that you get to see not only his prophecies to Israel, but also other nations. And it shows a bit of his own emotion, his thoughts, his feelings, He says things to God that not everybody says, or at least it's not always recorded in Scripture. There are things that he says when you read them and you think through them, you're like, oh my gosh. He says things to others. He says things to the nation of Israel when he prophesies that show his emotion, his feeling, that he was vested in what he was saying deeply. He cared about the nation of Israel. He wanted to see the people of God come back to following Yahweh in covenant faithfulness. And so when you follow all that he says, it is quite a book to study. Now, we know by the time that Jeremiah is prophesying that the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. So you have the northern kingdom of Israel and you have the southern kingdom of Judah. And so he does spend quite a bit of time prophesying to Judah. And so we're talking about the southern kingdom. Now, the, king, the northern kingdom of Israel, most of us know they did not have one righteous king. And so they uh, essentially were ransacked by the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire, you know, many years, 100 years or whatever it was before Jonah was ever sent to Nineveh, they had actually been responsible for plundering uh, the nation of Israel many times, taking a lot of their land, taking them out on several occasions. That's why Jonah hated the Assyrians. But the Assyrians were not the only world empire to take over during that time. They actually ended up getting taken over by the Babylonians, who was led by none less than Nebuchadnezzar. And we've all heard about him before. And so by the time that 
Jeremiah is prophesying, we see that judgment has happened to the northern tribes. And what's happening here with the southern kingdom is Jeremiah is vested in trying to hold back judgment for Judah. And so he goes to them many times throughout chapter 1 all the way to chapter 28, somewhere before that, and he's trying to call them back to faithfulness to Yahweh. Many times he comes to them in very unique and strange ways. He prophesies to them. And there are many modern contemporaries. There are other prophets that also were prophesying over the period of this time. And so we see as the book unfolds that it's actually quite a bit too late for, the, uh, for Judah and they do fall into this uh, sense of judgment. God renders the verdict. They did not respond to the prophets that God had sent to them. And so God does bring about judgment. And by judgment, I mean he lifts his hand of protection. And the Babylonians come in. And what happens before what we read is essentially the Babylonians, uh, it's about a five, 600-mile journey. They come in and they take the leaders. They take the physicians. They take some of the farmers. They take the high-level leaders, they take the priests, they take all of these people, not everybody from that land, but they take all of these different people and they bring them into captivity. And so they're now exiles, they're strangers in a strange land. And they're wondering what in the world they're supposed to do. This all of a sudden happens to them, but it really isn't that way because they just hadn't been responding to God and his prophets. So now they're in this new land, this new place. They're, a strange peop- they're among a strange people. They don't know how to respond. They don't know what they're supposed to do. And God, through the prophet Jeremiah, sends them a letter. And he gives them in- some instruction on how they are to live. And I think, while the parallel isn't perfect, I do think that there's some points, some principles that we can learn, even in the time that we're in, as we hear the word of God uh, spoken to us. And so again, I told you in your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read 14 verses at least, and you never know, I might throw a couple in for good measure. Don't know. If you follow my daily word, you do know. (laughs) I won't get farther than verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 29, here's what it says. Now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother and the court officials and the princess of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. You can kind of see all of these people, that the artisans, the craftsmen, they took all of these and they're going to force them into a labor of sorts. And there's a lot of story that goes along with that, but You can see what I was saying. Verse three, the letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, now listen to this, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You need to remember that point right there. God sent them into exile, but that's not necessarily how the people feel. God's the one that's responsible for sending them into exile. He says to them, this is what I want you to do. Verse five, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers and sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. 
Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. And verse 11, this is widely known, widely misquoted. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place where I sent you into exile. And he goes on and on from there, many other things that he says, which you should read later. But I, I thought, here we have the, the people who are in, ex, in exile. They don't know how to live. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to expect or think. In fact, this happens so suddenly, they're still confused. As you read chapter 28 and before that, you can really see that the people are still sort of astonished that this thing could ever even happen. And so this letter is sort of the grace and the mercy of God to give them some instruction. It just shows you how much God loves his people. Even when they're so rebellious, he has to lift his hand in order for judgment to occur. God loves us so much, doesn't he? When people look in the Old Testament and they see the God of judgment, we have no idea to what extent God has gone to bring us back. And even when judgment occurs, he's faithful to give us a promise in the midst of where we are and what we're going through to tell us, I am mindful of you. I am with you. I just want you to follow me and we'll get through this. I think it'd be hard to imagine for them what was going to happen as they walked through this. And clearly they needed direction and comfort to which God gave them. But I I wanna just share with you three things that I think are helpful also for us. And again, not a perfect parallel, but I'm going to try to make one as best I can. And the first point that I want to make from this passage, which I'm saying for them, and I'm certainly saying for us, is we must embrace where we are. In verse 4 to 7, we read several things that the Lord tells them to do through the prophet while they're in exile. And these are the five things that he tells them to do. Number one, he says, build houses and live in them. And this is another way of saying, I want you to be productive, I want you to put your hand to something. I want you to work and be productive. Keep your mind occupied. Keep your hands on something. Keep your feet moving forward. I want you to be busy doing something. Build houses and live in them. I want you to build a residence here. I don't want you to think this is a temporary dwelling. I don't want you to rent an apartment. I want you to build a home. This is what you're supposed to be doing right now. He says, secondly, I want you to plant gardens and eat from their produce. I want you to think about seasons. I want you to think seed time and harvest. This is the way that they produce their food. To us, it'd be like, I want you to set a Chick-fil-A right in the middle of town. I want you to harvest all the chickens because it's excellent. I mean, it's it's essentially, that's what it is because you don't plant and get a harvest overnight. We're talking about a long period of time. Seed, time, and harvest. And that means if we're going to plant, that eventually we're going to reap 
And then we're going to go through the process again. I want you to consider this your home. Number three, he says, build family and legacy. You remember, he says, get married, have kids who do the same. And he's not saying get married to those that are around you in exile. He's talking about fellow Israelites. He's talking about Jewish people. He he certainly is not encouraging them to intermarry because he's preserving the messianic line. And that's another story. But it's interesting to note, he's saying to them, which mimics Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God says, be fruitful and multiply. He's giving them these same commands. In fact, there's a lot of this that is reflective of Genesis 1 and 2 and Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30. You can see that he's bringing commands from the Torah right back to his people and saying, I want you to do what I told you to do in the promised land right here. And they understood as Jewish people who knew the Torah or at least had heard it in their upbringing, they knew what was being said to them. I want you to take up residence. And I don't want you to think any differently than that. Build family and legacy. Not only do I want you to marry, but I want you to have kids and I want you to think of their spouses and pray them in as well. Number four, he says, seek the welfare of the city. Can you imagine when they heard this one? Seek the welfare of what? Of Babylon? You want me to seek the welfare of the Babylonians? Do you, did you forget what they did? They're the ones that brought us here. We don't even want to be here. God says, seek the welfare of the city. And then he goes as far as saying, pray for the welfare of the city because as the city benefits, so will you. Oh my gosh. If you begin to pray for them as they prosper, I will prosper you. I'm calling you to be, doesn't this sound like the New Testament? Salt. I'm calling you to be light. I'm calling you to pray for those that despitefully use you. Does this not sound like Jesus right here? Well, it's because it's Jesus' father. Of course it is. Why would this counsel be given? And why would it be needed? This this letter is the beginning of a larger plea for the people of God to know him, to hear him, to obey him. And that's what he's going after in all this. Why? Because they haven't been. And I I want to set the stage here. They have not been obeying God. This people is wayward. They didn't think they were wayward, though. And isn't that interesting? You you look at the plight of the people of God for years and years. You just follow the story of Scripture, Old Testament and New. It just seems to me like there's this subtle story (laughs) that sometimes is stark and right in front of your face. It's where the people of God think. They think that they are close to God. They think that they know God. They think that they are doing what God wants. And God has to come to them again and again and try to steer them back. And and, and sometimes we don't listen. And because of that, God has to allow things in his wisdom to happen, not necessarily even author them, but we don't even realize, friends, we don't even realize how much the protective hand of God is upon us right now. In judgment, sometimes what God does before judgment occurs is he brings us back to our foundations. And when we don't listen to him bringing us back to our foundations, he causes the other things to crumble. And when they crumble, it devastates us. These worldly things that become so utterly important to us that have literally become the barrier between us and God and we still on this side of the barrier, sometimes the people of God think that they are close to God and this word of repentance comes and we go, yeah, they sure need to repent. 
He needs to repent. She needs to repent. That other church needs to repent. Those denominations need to repent. Everybody else needs to repent, but, but I'm doing pretty good. This barrier, I don't know what this is. It's more like a splinter. It's not really a barrier. And now we find ourselves in Babylon. You say, Ben, are you saying to me that we're in a, a time of judgment? I would actually tell you I don't even know. I'm not actually sure what all of this in our world today is, is all about. I really don't know. And I'm not actually going to tell you because it'd be easy for me to back off and say, well, this isn't authored by God, which, you know, I think a lot of this isn't. But is it being used by God? And are we hearing? More on that in a moment. This kind of mindset, maybe the, the kind of mindset that I think that they had was to pit themselves against the Babylonians. That's why this instruction was needed. It was to have hatred towards those that brought them into captivity. I hate those that are around me right now. And this word to them was to change their attitude and their mindset. I want you to dwell here in such a way where you're an example to the people that you have an attitude against right now. I want you to change the way that you think so that you can actually be useful and then you can hear the promise of me restoring to you what you have seemingly lost Judgment was needed, wasn't it? They couldn't see that. They didn't feel that. But that's what tends to happen is we turn our minds and our hearts against what God is even trying to say. Now, listen to this. Psalm 137, verse 1 through 9. I'm going to read it very quickly. But this is a lament of the people who are in in exile in, in Babylon. Listen to this. Psalm 137, verse 1. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and we wept when we remembered Zion upon the willows. In the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded us of songs, our tormentors mirth saying, sing us one of those songs of Zion, just patronizing them. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we do what we used to do here? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, you devastated one. I want you to get the picture of how they felt towards Babylon, Babylonians. You devastated one. How blessed will be the one who repays you with the recompense with which you have repaid us. How blessed will be the one who seizes and dashes your little ones against the rock. That's the lament. That's the prayer. That's the worship song in Babylon of the people of Israel. Clearly not understanding that God is the one that brought them here. So what are they doing? They've turned their mind and their heart toward these people as the problem, as the reason, rather than turning up towards God in repentance for restoration. Do you you see what's going on here? This is the misunderstanding of judgment, even in the minds of those that study the Bible, and they look back on the God of the Old Testament, and they think, what a horrible, angry God. I'm so grateful for Jesus. We fail to see that God has always been the merciful one. He has always been loving and kind and gracious, ever leading his people no matter how it is that we might stumble. God is always the one leading us, loving us. It's always been the case. 
Their mindset was wrong. God tells them to embrace where they are to the fullest extent possible, 70 years worth. I want you to live here, dwell here, build houses here, have children here. I want you to figure out how to thrive here. But it starts, right, with the the last thing he told them to do. I want you to pray for the welfare of the city. And I want you to start positioning yourself in prayer to bless those that you're blaming, I want you to start blessing those that you're blaming, and then the promise comes after that. Now, I realize we're not facing the same thing that they are, but I think some principles apply. We don't have to love the season that we're in, but I do think it's important for us to have the right attitude in the moment that that we're a part of right now. And I think that It's time to stop fighting against something and start fighting for something. This is what what I believe. And this is what I'm sharing with you, what I feel the Holy Spirit is speaking to me about. It's, It's time to turn this around. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to turn this around. It's time to regather our thoughts, open up our Bibles, just ignite our prayer life, gather together and start to do what we have always done and begin to thrive right where we are. Stop waiting for another day to come. It may never come. We might get some old normals, but we've got to start establishing ourselves as spirit-filled people, grounded in the word of God, moving forward, advancing the kingdom of God right where we are, no matter what may come. And so I want... To encourage you, I want to encourage you towards a couple things, okay? Number one, I want to encourage you to establish a weekend church service routine. Now, for those of you online, I'm going to make sure that I clarify what I mean. For those of you that cannot come to a church service, we've been open for two and a half months. We've had church services since May. And yes, they're a little different. And we're fighting against that. I, I understand that there's, there's a fight. It, because it's not normal, I don't, wanna, I don't know that I want to do this. Now, you guys are here, so just hear my heart in this, okay? Two and a half months, we started with prayer services because here was my position. I'm going to do everything that we're allowed to do right now. That's going to be my leadership disposition, period. So I'll be here. And I'm here. I mean, I personally right now just want you to know I'm doing Wednesday. I do Wednesday morning, Wednesday night. Thursday morning, Friday morning, I do Saturday night, and I do two Sunday. And if that's not enough, I'll meet with anybody as well. You know why? Because I'm fighting for us to be able to do what God's called us to do. And I believe that we can and that we should. Now, that isn't to say you're not. I'm just telling you, there's there's a reason why I'm doing what we're doing. And there's a whole team around me doing all this with me. I'm not suggesting it's me, but we're all doing this together. So we started in May, and every point, we're going to open up. If the door can open a little bit more, guess what's going to happen? Open, open, open. We're going to keep opening. 25%, 50%, 75%. I'm not even going to argue about percentages. I'm not going to argue if we're doing enough. I'm just going to do as much as we possibly can. That, that's, where I'm, that's my position. It's really simple. It's not complicated. And so I'm not fighting against anything. I'm fighting for the people of God to move forward, okay? But here's what I think has happened. And, and I say this with all due respect, that I think we started, uh, when we went into this, nobody knew what to do. Neither did I. I mean, we were like, I mean, just going to share with you openly, I don't have enough time to do this. Oh, my gosh. Our church, yeah, amen. All right, you say that. You're the only one, though. All right. So 
we started in February, our church had grown. I don't know if you guys realize this, but our church had really grown. A couple hundred people. We were like 1,836 average attendance on the weekend. We didn't know where people were going to, and I know those are just numbers, right? But I, I was like nervous. I was like, I thought we were supposed to shrink the first year I was here. That's what they told me, 25% shrinkage, and we were in the opposite. And I was like, man, you, I better not screw this up. <laughs> I was still trying to find out what I was doing right. Am I doing something right? What is it? I still don't get it. Like, they laugh at my jokes, mostly, or they pray for me because they know I need help. I don't even know what is happening right now. You know, so anyways, it was like flowing, and then boom, next weekend, you know, March hits, and we're like out, and I remember we were here, and, and, and I'm trying to figure out, we're preaching to cameras, and, and, and online numbers were crazy, and we knew everybody was with us. We knew we were still moving forward, because here's our disposition. We're not just about church services. We want to make disciples. We want to push into federal way with the gospel, and we're just getting started in, th- in this particular generation, in this time. We've been doing it as a church for 42 years. But I've only had one of those years, and so I want to build on what's already been built. I want to go higher than we've gone. And I think that's what honors the past. If we take what was and we build on top of it, that honors the past. Amen? And I think that's the best thing you can do with the spiritual inheritance is you take it and you invest it in the best way possible. And that's what we've been trying to do. So we had mission trips, and we had everything planned. We had VBSs, mission trips, camps. All of you understand. Some of you are grieving. If I even mention it, you know what I'm talking about. We had all this stuff planned, many of your ministries, everything closed overnight and nobody had a clue what to do. Just, just being honest with you. And so what I did is I prayed for my life because we have this, this staff and we have this building and we have this, everything's going on and all of a sudden we put a stop to all that we were doing and now we're trying to figure out how to do, how to do church, how to be the church, scattered and not gathered. And we stayed connected, but I, I, I started to watch, and, and not just online numbers go down, but I started to watch minds and hearts and attitudes, and, and things started to sizzle a bit. Amen? Yeah. Hey, no, no judgment here. Just going to talk honestly. So if you get offended, I've got two messages. In fact, I've got a whole series called How to Deal with Offense. Now, you know what? That was prophetic. So we started all getting, you know, I, maybe you didn't go through it as much, some more than others. We started going through some stuff. And my suspicion is, is that we started losing our routines. We started losing our weekend routines. We started, and I mean connections. And I think even in the midst of that, I think there's a lot of Christians that have lost their ecclesiology. Like, we can just go hang out at Starbucks and we're having church. You know what's interesting about that is that when you read the Bible, that's not what it says. The Bible actually has a lot to say about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, overseers, bishops, deacons, the church of God coming together, advancing the kingdom together, doing it together. When you start throwing out an incredible amount of the Bible, you really don't believe the authority of Scripture. We start adopting what's an ecclesiology, an understanding of the church that's based on our environment rather than the Bible. And that is happening right now. And you know what the result of that is going to be? Chaos. Disillusionment. It is going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, that's like the family fragmenting and people starting to say, which in our culture they're saying, 
Fathers don't matter. Mothers don't matter. It's all about love. Look at how that's going. The same thing is happening to the church. When a tragedy strikes, it causes people to get disillusioned. We come out of our comfort zone. We don't know what to do. But the one thing we must do is we must stay true to the word of God and we must stay true to one another. And here's what I'm doing. We pray and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, it's time to come back. Now, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna interpret what that means. If you are at home and you have an underlying condition, a compromised immune system, or you just feel in your heart that you can't come back to services, I respect that. You are a part of us. Would you just check in with us? I'm asking, as a, as a pastor, I'm asking you to check in with us. You can, you can email me. You can text me. My number's out there. I want you to check in with us because I want to make sure that we are all being pastored during this time. I want to make sure that we are all drawing close to God during this time because there's a lot at stake, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm not kidding with you. And so I'm asking you to check in with me. We know you're there. I love you. I pray every day for our church. But for those that are out there, and if you're listening, and I don't mean offense by this, but I'm simply saying, if you can come and you just have decided not to, I'm asking you to try it. I'm asking you to come outside if you've got kids because we don't have children's ministry. I'm asking you to come and push your kids in the stroller, sing a little song and worship with us, smile, look at everybody else from the church. It might be weird and strange and abnormal, but if we don't start learning how to build houses here, my question is, when are we gonna do it? So we've got four services a week, and for those of you that can't come, I'm just asking you to build a weekly routine around a service. That's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to participate online so that we can do this together. If you can come, I am asking you to come. I'm not just talking about attendance. I'm saying for us to not just get back to where we were, but for us to learn how to do it in this season, we've got to come together. We have got to come together. And so however we do that, whether it's in this building, whether it's outside, or whether it's online, I'm asking our church to gather together during this time so we can learn how to do it. Because I don't have all the answers. And I never did. In fact, I will admit, I've never presented myself that way. I've said my flaws in front of you. You laughed. It was great. (laughs) We've had a good time. I talk to you about when I get angry sometimes. You guys smiled and you thought, I can relate to this guy. You know, I know you felt it. You thought it. Number one, establish a weekend service routine. Number two, establish regular fellowship, ministries, groups, connections. Number three, establish disciplines, fellowship for your kids. Um, If you don't have a regular devotion night with your family, I'm encouraging you to do that. My wife and I and our kids, we have Tuesday night. They pick worship songs. We get on YouTube together and we read the Bible together. We all read the same verses every day. And then when we get together on Tuesday night, we, each one of us shares a verse that stuck out to us. We do that every week. If we don't do it Tuesday night, we end up doing it Thursday night. If as a family you don't have that, let me strongly urge you to do that because our kids are not gonna learn by us telling them what to do. They are gonna learn by us being an example to them. And in this time, it's time to set routines. Why? Because the next generation has got to see it in us. So no guilt, but let's start something today. Let me encourage you to take the next step. This is what I wanted. If you have a family where you can do that, and if you don't, if you have older kids, let me encourage you to pick one day a week where you can call your kids on the phone 
and share with them some things that God's put in your heart or even just have some fellowship with them. Or you have a time where you can invite them over. But have a time once a week where you are at least calling them, contacting them, and getting in touch with them. Develop a routine. We need routines. We need to build houses. We need to plant vineyards. We, you understand what I'm saying? We need to do some stuff during this time that will really help us. And the fourth thing is I'm asking you to pray for Pray into the future with us. We're re- redesigning a lot of things around here, and I'm, I'm letting you know we're redesigning pastoral care ministry behind the scenes right now. We're redesigning discipleship. We once did OSL and MTI and all that, and all that's been wonderful, but we are gonna re- redesign a lot of stuff around here because we feel that we need to build something that is specifically related to us. The things in the past are great. We're gleaning from that, and we're gonna build, and I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to pray as we do that because I'm not bringing my agenda and trying to just get my stuff done. I'm thinking about the next generation. I'm thinking about who we are as a people. I'm thinking about what God has done and I'm building with a lot of other people around me so that we can be ready for the harvest as it comes. Pray for your church. Pray for me. Pray for us. You say, Pastor Ben, I do. Keep praying then. That's all I'm asking. Keep praying. All right, number two I see from this passage. Man, I went down a trail, didn't I? That was good. I don't know. And again, if you misunderstand me online, please just send me an email. I'm just encouraging us. We, we, need, to, we need to come back, I believe. Number two, we must discern what we hear. Verse eight and nine, look, look what God says through the prophet Jeremiah. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. It's easy to understand that the Hebrew people were susceptible to the wrong voice during this season, as they didn't know what to think. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. And so up come some voices, some prophets, some diviners, and they start telling people what they want to hear. Hey, you don't need to lay down any roots You don't need to do anything. You don't need to unpack your Samsonite. You don't need to do any of that. In fact, you need to get ready because you guys are not exiles. Your name is not exiles. You're not exiles. You're going all the way back to Jerusalem where you came from. Lie. And it was easy to hear that because why? It was what they wanted to hear. So there were false prophets that were saying things to people what they wanted to hear. And I'm gonna tell you, that there have been a lot of people talking in the last six months that make me uncomfortable. There's been a lot of voices that have cropped up. And I'll tell you what, every person in this room and every person watching me online has something they wanna hear. Every one of us has something we wanna hear that may not be the truth. And let's just be honest about that. There are, we all say, I just want truth, I just want truth. Here's the thing though, we're all susceptible In times like now, where we want to hear something and call that the truth, it happens. It's happened to me over the last six months, and I've had to pray like my life's depended on it. And I've noticed that it's going on again and again and again. They were saying things, the exile will be over soon, don't get comfortable. The other voice was, rise up against the Babylonians, take back control of your lives and go back home. You know what would happen when they did that? Death. Why? God brought them there. And that's what, that's what the prophets were trying to tell them to do. On one hand, you're going to go home, lie. On the other hand, rise up against the Babylonians and die. Lie equals die. That's what's going to happen to them. You know what they didn't do? Listen to God. 
And I want to just tell you, I, I, you know, sometimes people say, Ben, you're not very political. You're, you're apolitical would be the terminology. No, I'm not. I'm authority of scripture. So I vote based on what I best understand in the Bible. I'm a moral conservative. I know what I believe, but I don't let the right or the left push me. You know why? Because every four years, the same thing happens. All of a sudden, certain things become very important. People start pushing people in power because if you say it, then everybody will listen to you. I'm trying to tell everybody to read the Bible. And I'm going to stand on moral convictions as it pertains to what Scripture teaches. And wherever that crosses politics, that's where I'm concerned. Absolutely. I'm not going to base my convictions or anything else that I do on anything other than Scripture. So it's not fair to say that I'm non-political. It's not true. I'm a moral conservative basing my thoughts and views on scripture. I don't align myself with the party because I'm not gonna let anybody push me except the king. That's what I want. Now, has that always been you know, the case in my life? No, that's why I gotta wake up and pray every day. That's why I have to wake up and go, God, what do you want me to do? But there are voices that are trying to pull us in and before you know it, you're sailing down a road and you're no longer caring about preach the gospel to all creation, make disciples of all nations, advance the kingdom of God. Before you know it, it seems like it's right and all of a sudden you no longer care about the last will and testament of Jesus and the major priority is the voice of fear telling you that if you don't do this, then you don't know what's gonna happen. Ladies and gentlemen, If the gospel is not preached, if disciples are not made, there is no hope for the next generation at all. Zero, none, it won't happen. You and I can look down the dark tunnel, there will never be any light because it is the gospel that changes people's lives. And we've got to remember that in a season like now. This is the way that it's always been. We are exiles in the land that we're in. It does not mean that I'm not thankful to live in our country. I am. I am a patriot. I am thankful to live in our country. And I know sometimes people don't think that. It's not true. But I'm thankful that I live in this country because I have the freedom now to preach the gospel. And sometimes people ask me, well, what if you lose that freedom? I am still going to preach the gospel. I am still going to teach the Bible. If they outlaw the scriptures, then I'll go to jail. We'll lose the building. (laughs) I'm going to do this. But I'm not afraid that we're going to lose our ability to do this. If it happens, we go with this. That's what we do. And that's where we, that's where we go. Don't, don't be deceived. Our church is going to stand on the word, and I want you to trust that, and you're going to hear me say it again and again and again, but there are voices that might sound good right now that are going to rise up, tell you what you want to hear, and I want you to check yourself against scripture. When you're challenging people, make sure it's because of scripture. Make sure it's not fear. If we don't, then this will happen. Is that what scripture says? Is it about the gospel? Is it about discipleship? You can't fault me on that. It's the truth. And so what happens is, is we get jolted in these seasons. And if you're with me for the next 20 years, you're gonna, we're going to go through this every three and a half years at minimum. And dark times are going to come, but we shine the light. We shine the light, and I want to shine it bright. I don't want this little light of mine. I want a flamethrower. You understand what I'm saying? This flamethrower of mine, come on. I'm gonna let it shine. 
I want Federal Way to see it when we shine it up in the air. You know what I'm saying? I don't want this little light. What's that? Hide it under a bushel. Think not. Burn the bushel down. Who wrote that song, Pastor Steve? Who wrote that song? Check who you're listening to. Discern what is going into your heart. What it, discern what's going into your mind. You know, I used to read this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, and think certain thoughts. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. Almost the same thing in a different generation this side of the cross. He said, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires. And I want you to not think that it is just the most grotesque sin. I want you to just think that it's not aligned with kingdom. That it could be anything. It could be simple. It could be, it could be small. It, it, can, it can look like it's Jesus, but not be right. The Bible says that the devil, he struts around like an angel of light. Right? The idea is deception. So I want you to think about this passage not as the most grotesque sin that you can think about, that's easily discerned. I want you to think about the stuff that might actually appeal to you. And so he says, they will follow their own desires and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear and they will reject the truth and chase after myths. I want you to think that that is actually happening right now. That is happening right now. And it is happening in our isolation and I'm concerned about that, which is why I believe that the Holy Spirit is calling us to come back, whether that's online or on site. How, however we come back, but we come back to gathering around the weekend. If you're not here, you're online. Be, I've, I've encouraged many people to make sure that they have a Saturday night or a Sunday morning routine. Be with us. Let's do this together. Not I'll get around to it some, at some point. No, 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 let's do this together. We need each other. We literally do need each other during this dark time. Because it's my, you know, sometimes people want to hear this. It's going to get better. The numbers are looking better this week. It's going to get better. I don't know. I don't, I, I honestly, I don't know. I think that we're going to have a pretty hard year. If you ask me, I'm not a prophet, but if you ask me, I think it's going to be a hard year. That's what I think. Pastor Ben, do you think it's going to get a lot better? I think it's going to get harder before it gets better. So, so the question that I'm asking is, are we together in this as we, as we walk this out? Are we are we in this? Are we in a kick back the kingdom of darkness together? Because I think the Lord will give us some plans. I really believe he's starting to do that. I'm seeing it in our staff. I'm seeing it in me. I'm seeing it in our people, our church. God's starting to give us some stuff and we're gonna thrive during this time. But I don't want for us to look for people to say what we wanna hear because that's what happens in the vacuum of times like this. It's what they were going through in exile. Everybody wanted to hear, we're going back to Jerusalem pretty soon. Hey, hey, get encouraged, kids. We're going back to Jerusalem pretty soon. You know what happens when you start believing a lie? You stop taking responsibility for where you are. That's what happens. So the sin that's in your life, you know, the stuff that nobody else sees, you stop taking responsibility for that. The fact that you're not close to the Lord. You know, I, I, was, I was close to the Lord back in Jerusalem. When I get back there close to the temple and his presence, it's gonna all happen again. No, no, no. What if you don't get back there? 70 years. Your kids might go back there, but you ain't. That's why people misquote verse 11. They say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's not you, it's your children. You gonna die here. <laughs> That's not a verse I quote. I don't send that to everybody. You gonna die in Babylon. 
You're no longer a prophet to Israel. You are a prophet to Babylon. That's a good word right there. It's time that we start becoming prophets to Babylon and not just to Israel. You're going to die here, but your kids are going to make it. So I want you to live in such a way where you cultivate the kind of life that your kids can carry on back to Jerusalem. That when the book of Daniel starts to unfold and Ezra and Nehemiah, when all of that starts to happen and the favor of the Lord comes back, did you live in your home in such a way in Babylon that your kids will take that with them, the fire of God back to Jerusalem and they will have something with the Lord or will they be just like you in Babylon going back with attitudes to desecrate the temple that you once held so dear? Oh man. So what I'm trying to say is the way that we live right now actually affects when we go back, if we go back. We know today affects tomorrow, but are we living in it? Are we living in it? We've got to check the voices. And so what's my greatest concern? My greatest concern is that this time has exposed that it's possible that we're not living in the doctrine that we so adhere to the authority of Scripture. I'm not saying that, you know, if you ask somebody, a Christian, do you believe the Bible is true? Yes. But see, it's when difficult times come, are you living in a way where this book is your truth? Because that's what this time, in my opinion, is all about. Is it scripture coming out of our hearts? Is it scripture coming out of our mouth? Is it scripture that we're starting to build based on? Is it the Bible? Not do you believe that it's true, but is it living through you right now? And I'm concerned that, that the authority of Scripture is at stake, not to be afraid, but rather to grab hold of the Bible and say, what is church? Is it just two people hanging out saying, oh, you know, how you doing? I don't know how you doing. I'm doing pretty good. Is that church? I, there, listen, people right now are buying into so many, I was going to say wives' tales, but I feel like that's kind of a sexist thing to say. <laughs> it's just a terrible thing to say. I got a wife, she's not, she, she wouldn't appreciate that. Is that, I mean, is that what it is, right? Now, we had to do this, this thing, this online thing. It's not to guilt that. Like, we've got to do whatever we got to do. Some people have to be at home right now. There, there is a real health thing going on, I know. But, but what I'm saying is, are we together in this? Are we together in this, right? Authority of Scripture is at stake. Are we studying to ensure that we are thinking and saying the things that are lined up with God are, are, or even are we looking at how we're saying it because the scriptures speak to that too. Not just that we say it, but how we say it. It's not just the name of Jesus on our lips. It's the nature of Jesus in our hearts. What's coming out of us right now? Are we convicted about that? Are we assuming that we were so close to God that you couldn't separate us? I'm not assuming that about my own life. Can I just tell you that? Like God, grow me deeper. Help me to go further. I wanna know you better. I don't want judgment on me. I don't want judgment on this land. I don't want judgment on this nation. And so you gotta go to your knees instead of just trying to compel everybody else to do. We've gotta go to our knees. If prayer isn't coming out of us, it makes me wonder what we think's gonna actually bring about change. One of the books that I've been reading and started reading again is Reese Howells. It's a, a book called Intercessor by Reese Howells. You should read that book. This is a guy, they believe that through their intercession changed the nation. And it's incredible just to read about it, but I believe this. 
I believe what scripture says is true. So do you. We believe this, but we've got to go back to just believing it together because then it's powerful when we come into agreement. The last thing I want to say, and I'll close, is we must trust God for tomorrow. And this is where the famous verse comes into play. Verse 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then, then, this is talking about when you're in obedience to God, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search me with all, for me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back. He's talking about their kids or maybe their kids' kids. I mean, seriously. And we could clearly see that this verse is misquoted many times by today's world, but God's intentions toward his people were always good, even in the midst of judgment, and that is the God that we serve. I don't know why this time has persisted. I really don't. And I don't know when it's going away, but I think it's time that we build. I think it's time that we build in such a way that we can house the promises of the Lord by the way that we're living for us and for our kids. I'm thinking about what my kids are seeing in me right now and what our church, is, I hope, is seeing in me right now that is worthy of the next generation building upon. That's what I'm thinking about right now. Sometimes we say this to each other. We say, you know, our next, the next generation is going to suffer as a result of our country doing this and our country doing that. I, I wanna say something a little bit different and, and that may be true. I'm not actually taking that away. Our kids and our culture and our generation, our next generation is gonna suffer if we don't live sold out to Jesus. They will suffer. They will have to redo everything that we did. I don't want that at all. I don't want that at all. I'm not you and you're not me, but when we do this together, we get to see a fire start that is undeniable. It is undeniable. We've got such a history and we're gonna see God move in powerful ways. Now, let me tell you about this vision as I close. We were praying and I, I said to you that I felt like the Holy Spirit said, as, as I prayed, I just spoke out, come, come back. And I, I've got no agenda here. I just telling you, it was, I believe it was prophetic prayer. If it sticks, let it stick, you know? If it doesn't, pray about it. I prayed it out. I felt like it was the Lord. I pray for our church every day, but this was different. Six months, and I prayed this prayer, so it's the first time. And um, I had this vision, and it was really simple, and I could see this car that was full of people in a tunnel, and they were driving pretty fast through the tunnel, and uh, it was dark ahead, and all of a sudden, I saw the light at the end of the tunnel, and the car went right through the end of the tunnel and came out on the other side, and the emotion in the car was really mixed because what they saw was totally different from what they came from. When they came in the tunnel, everything looked a certain way. When they came out of the tunnel, it didn't look like that anymore, and the emotion was mixed. Some felt like things were beautiful. Some felt like things were missing. So there was a twofold response, grief and, and loss and beauty and wonder all at the same time. It was just this strange thing to watch. And I knew that the Lord was showing me something out of this 
And I believe that this is the prophetic word. Now, take this for what it is, okay? I'm not a prophet. I'm just giving you what I believe is in my heart. I believe that not only are we going to get through this, but when we get through this, on the other side, things are going to be different. And the sense that we're going to have is both grief and loss and beauty and wonder of God. We're going to have both. And what I also feel in my heart is how we go through the tunnel is as important as getting out on the other side. How we drive in the tunnel right now is as important as where we're going. And I'm calling our church right now to gather together in our mind and in our heart. I know we did the two-week fast, but this is what came out of it for me, is to gather your heart to my heart, to our heart, that we are gonna do this together and we're gonna start to build things that maybe we've never built before and there's a sense of loss, but then there's gonna be a sense of beauty and wonder. It's time to take a closer look at our hearts. Are we living in a way that is based on truth? What needs to change to be closer to God? These things Pastor Ben encourages us to take a closer look at. In these days, it's time to position ourselves with a leaning into God's stance, not only for us, but for our children as well. It's time to find a new path for a new place. I encourage you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for the radio ministry of Ignite Global Radio as Pastor Ben opens the Bible and shares from his heart. Now, once again, here he is with a final encouragement to stop waiting for things to get back to normal and start living today. I'm sure the tendency for most of us, especially in a time that we're living in right now, is to say, I can't wait till it's all over. I can't wait till we go back to the normal that we were so used to. But the reality is, is that when we go through tragedy or difficulty, especially as a society, we never really are going to be the same. Now, does that mean that some things won't go back to the way they were? No, it doesn't mean that. But what are we supposed to learn through this? What are we supposed to do through this? What is God saying through all this? And part of what I'm talking about today is to be able to be fruitful where we are. I think people are waiting, and I think it's time to stop waiting. I think it's time to start living. It's time to start thriving in a place that we didn't plan on, in a place that we wouldn't have picked, and in a time where maybe we would have done everything entirely different. Maybe we disagree with the decisions of those that are in charge. We might feel that if we were in charge, we would do it differently. All of that may be fine, but the fact is we can't change what we can't change. And so we have to learn how to do it now. We've got to learn how to thrive where we are. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about blooming where we're planted. We're talking about living where we are and not longing for another day. The Bible's very clear. All we have is today. That is all that we have. Tomorrow is not promised to us. Yesterday is gone. We've got today. So the question that I'm asking you through all of this that I'm preaching about is, are you living life to the fullest right where you are today? Or are you longing for something else? I'm not saying that you can't have some longings in your heart. I'm just asking if today you are living to the fullest extent that you possibly can. Are you listening to the Lord? Are you responding to his presence? Are you responding to his word? Are you moving forward with him in this time? Are you getting back to a sense of, of normal that, that today can actually be or bring, even though some of the things that we've had to make adjustments to aren't ideal? 
I believe we can, and I believe we will. And a lot of that has to do with the way that we think. So renew your mind to God's word. Renew your mind as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. And lay hold of the foundation that God wants to build right here and right now. You've been listening to Ignite Global Radio, featuring the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon, the lead pastor of Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. As you can tell, he has a passion to see Christians actually become like the one they say they are following. For Pastor Ben and the entire staff here at Ignite, thanks for listening. And be sure to join us next week for another edition of Ignite. Ignite is a ministry of Northwest Foursquare Church.